Hey, Central family. Um, it's been a, a crazy few weeks. Um, when we picked this sermon series a number of weeks ago and this sermon topic, uh, we had no idea how relevant it was going to be for uh, this moment. Um, but we've all been watching the news um, the past few weeks, and it's been very heavy. Uh, it's been really heartbreaking um, to see not only large numbers of people still um, affected by the virus around the world, but um, witnessing the, the horrific racist murder of uh, George Floyd. And, and he's one of our Christian brothers. And so um, we, feel, we feel the pain. Uh, as somebody who's part of a multiracial family myself, I, I find it disturbing on, a, on another level. And, uh, and we've been watching the unfolding backlash and the conflict and the destruction and the escalation, and all of it comes to us through our, our televisions and, our, and social media. And so while many of the terrible things going on are somewhat removed from us geographically, uh, we're experiencing them virtually, uh, and it can have an effect on our souls. Uh, we, we feel these societal conflicts. Uh, we feel the anxiety and the anger welling up inside of us, and it spills into our, our homes, our relationships, um, we felt at this time, given this topic, it was going to be appropriate for us to address some of these things. Uh, I want to be faithful to the text of Scripture, uh, first and foremost, but we also want to give some application to the things um, going on. But we feel uh, the weight of the world, and, and this can impact uh, other areas of our life that already might ha not be experiencing peace, things like our parenting and our marriages. Uh, maybe you uh, yell at the person in the Staples lineup, um, uh, maybe you are disagreeing with somebody online. You see something, you respond. More fighting breaks out in a virtual setting. Uh, some of us, though, want nothing to do with any of this. Uh, we just want to keep our heads down. We want to hunker down. We don't want to deal with the world's problems. We just want to wait until everything gets back to normal, is what we say. But the question is, how do we as Christians respond to conflict and chaos in our world as followers of Jesus? In the language of the Apostle Paul, Christians are called to fight a good fight. But how? How do we engage our world in a way that honors God and impacts people's lives? Uh, how do we fight this good fight? I think in, in our changing world, sometimes it feels like the rules of engagement have, have changed. Often we end up causing friendly fire, uh, harming the very people that we love and care for, even though we don't intend to. Uh, Jesus is going to help us with this. In his Sermon on the Mount, he, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. As followers of Jesus, uh, we're called to be peacemakers at this time, all times, whether at the societal level or in our homes, at work, online, wherever. So part of my job uh, today is, is to help us think a little bit about maybe some basic training for fighting a good fight. And so we're going to look at four things, uh, four things uh, to fight the good fight of Christian peacemaking. Uh, so first, we're going to look at what is Christian peacemaking. Uh, second, we're going to look at what are the pitfalls of peacemaking. Third, we're going to look at how to become a peacemaker. And fourth, uh, hope for peacemakers. So let's just start off with, first of all, what, what is Christian peacemaking? Uh, 
Uh, we need to go back uh, to the context of our passage in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we need to kind of put ourselves back at the scene a little bit here. Jesus has, has drawn a crowd of disciples onto a mountain and he sits down and he begins to teach. The image in our mind, uh, that the image that Matthew's trying to put in our mind is actually the image of Moses sitting on Mount Sinai giving the Ten Commandments. Here's the new Moses. He's not come to set aside the law of Moses. He's come to fulfill it. Uh, through this sermon, Jesus corrects the, the poor interpretations of the Pharisees and the scribes. He helps people understand that uh, the intent of Moses' law and, and the teachers of his day, they had misinterpreted and misunderstood many things. They focused on externals. Jesus points everything back to our hearts. Uh, he begins his sermon by saying blessed or blessed, which in some context means actually congratulations or happy. It's been translated that way as well. Um, but he is starting off not only in, the, in the, the tradition of the new Moses, but he's also starting off in the tradition of the Jewish wisdom literature. You think of Psalm chapter one, blessed is the man, Psalm 119, blessed. They begin the same way. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the authority that Jesus speaks with in this sermon. This is not a teaching that we can just kind of set aside as followers of Christ. Often what, what Jesus says about peacemaking and loving enemies in this sermon is met with a kind of attitude of like, get real, Jesus. That doesn't work in the real world. But I want you to, again, just think of the authority with which Jesus is speaking. As Christians, we're not dealing with his opinions. We're dealing with his revealed truth. Uh, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He declares with authority, blessed are the peacemakers. They are the sons of God. So, uh, peace. Uh, a peace, our word for peace is, is a, not a quite as full as the biblical concept of peace. Uh, obviously, the Hebrew word is shalom. And that's the concept that's behind even the Greek words in this passage. Is It, it has a much fuller, richer meaning in its wholeness or well-being. So peace in the Bible is more about the presence of something than the absence of conflict. Now, we add to that peacemaking. This adds an active component to that. We could define it as the active involvement in bringing wholeness and completeness to people's lives. Jesus pronounces a blessing on people who live like that. Listen to what our Mennonite Brethren Confession states. It says this, the call to biblical peacemaking challenges us to be more than passive non-resistors. The word peacemaker combines the meaning of well-being or wholeness with the idea of action. A peacemaker is one who actively intervenes in situations of conflict in order to establish peace. And, and don't forget that last line, in order to establish peace. Uh, notice there's a word missing from this definition. It's the word passivism. Uh, usually when people use that word, they think of somebody who's a passive non-resistor. Um, in our denomination, our Mennonite brethren denomination, uh, that language is actually not used. Now, half of you listening just uh, felt a little bit of joy fill your heart because I said the word Mennonite brethren. But the other half of you um, are a little confused by that terminology. And so 
Uh, that's our denominational background. That's our history. We're, we're Christians, uh, but we came from this particular kind of history of the Mennonites. And the Mennonites were always about peacemaking. Um, and and it's, it's something that we're still about today. Jesus' language is the language of peacemaking. And that doesn't mean passive nonviolence. It means active nonviolence. What comes to our minds when we hear these words should be people like Martin Luther King Jr. Or William Wilberforce, uh, a Christian politician who labored in the 1700s to end the slave trade at great cost to himself. Uh, I think of a fictional character, uh, Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird, one of my favorite characters in fiction. I recommend anybody read or watch that movie right now, by the way. Atticus is a, a peaceful man who is willing to stand in the gap and take hits from both sides in order to stand for justice. Most of all, we think of Jesus. Jesus didn't just preach about peace. He didn't just show us peace. He is our peace. He is the peace between us and God. He is the peace between us and our neighbor. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 to 17 says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, uh, this is Paul talking, and he's talking about Gentiles. They were far away from God. He says, You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both, he's talking about Jew and Gentile, both Jew and Gentile, one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, you Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, the Jews. See, it's through the gospel that Jesus brings Jew and Gentile together. It's through the gospel we experience racial reconciliation. It all begins with Jesus' death and resurrection. It's our only hope for racial reconciliation, and it's through Christ. Peace is not going to come by telling ourselves, I'm not a racist. Racism is a problem of the sinful human heart. And the only cure is through repentance and faith in Jesus. We all have the potential to be racist, to be prejudiced, to prefer our tribe over someone else's tribe. And the transformation of this kind of thinking uh, has to come through God renovating our hearts. Uh, George Floyd believed in the gospel. He was a Christian brother who experienced peace with God. He lived his life to bring others into that peace. He had a very active ministry in, in Minneapolis and Texas until he was unjustly killed. A peacemaking, therefore, often has a cost. It is motivated by courage and love to see people become whole and well. We accomplish this not only through sharing the gospel, but by doing good works of love for others. Now let's move on to some of the pitfalls. Our MB confession uh, again states this. It says, we tend to respond to conflict and violence either by raising our voice and striking back or by avoiding conflict and walking away or remaining uninvolved. 
Christ chose the third option, peacemaking. This is identifying kind of two ditches that we can kind of veer off the road into. Uh, one of the ditches is combativeness or quarrelsomeness. And the second one would be passivity, doing really nothing. In 2 Timothy 2.14, Paul tells Timothy this. I want you to hear his words really carefully. He says, The Lord's servant, Timothy, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Uh, we've all experienced being around Christians who uh, have all the right answers, uh, but basically they're jerks. Um, a combative person who sees every issue as an issue they need to get involved in and give their opinion about. Uh, but on the other hand, we've also experienced passive people uh, notice that Paul doesn't say to Timothy, hey, just, just stay out of it, brother. Uh, don't bother uh, fixing any of the problems in the church. He says, no, uh, Timothy, you're going to have to correct these guys. You're, you're going to have to stop the lies that they're spreading. Uh, but you need to do it gently. You need to do it patiently. Um, because at the end of the conversation, you want that person to actually hear you and, and want to be part of what you're offering. And often when we act like jerks to people, that, that certainly doesn't happen. The passive person, though, never wants to put themselves in a position to risk or to get hurt. Uh, usually passivity morphs into something else called pass passive aggressiveness. Uh, we actually care deeply about something, uh, but we're too scared to bring it up. So we kind of indirectly, in a hostile way, kind of bring it up. So the other day, I was talking to a guy from our church, and he was just very direct with me, uh, very respectful. But he said, hey, I, I wish we could do a sermon series about such and such. He wasn't combative about it, uh, he, but he also didn't beat around the bush. Um, it's better that he does that than if he, you know, comes up and says something like, hey, you know, the uh, church down the road is doing such and such a sermon series. Wink, wink. And that's kind of the passive-aggressive uh, thing. So we don't want to fall into these ditches, but the question still remains, how, should I get involved? Uh, should I not get involved? And Jesus helps us with this. He says, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In other words, it takes wisdom and love to know when to get involved in a conflict and when to stay out of it so peace can reign. Sometimes, depending on the circumstance, our, our getting involved is going to lead to further unrest and conflict. Other times, our passivity makes the problem worse. So we need God's wisdom. We need the Spirit's leading to make those calls. And what gives you the wisdom in the situation, though, is a heart that says, I want to bring peace to this situation. It's that heartbeat that will make... Uh, us avoid these pitfalls. And I also just want to add to the principle of responding to and getting involved in things that are within your sphere of influence. There are lots of issues and, and conflicts that we can be active in and bring well-being to others. But we need to ask ourselves, what role can I play in this? 
What's my proximity to this issue? Will my involvement be something that will make a true difference, even if it's small? Is this something that the Lord is, is pressing on my heart? And I think we need to think about this stuff in our online discussions. Uh, is me posting this rant about some issue, is that going to bring peace? Or is me responding to the angry rant of somebody else, is that going to bring peace and a gospel witness? Or is this a distraction from what God has called me to do? Thirdly, let's move on to how do we become peacemakers? Um, a couple of years ago, a, a friend of mine, he's a, poli uh, a former uh, uh, firefighter uh, chief in a small town, and um, he, uh, he used to tell me about some of the training exercises they would do uh, with some of their young guys. So they get these young trainees in, and they would do a contest between sort of the older guys and the younger guys, and, and Rick was one of the older guys, and so uh, he would tell me that the older guys would win every single time. And the reason is the younger guys, they, they thought they had the speed and the, and the strength. They had an advantage. They could go a little faster, uh, but they would always go too fast. They would be nervous. They, would, they wouldn't know how to hook up the hoses. And uh, Rick would slow himself down. He'd move uh, with awareness. He'd move slow. And he was smooth. And so he was faster. And it's counterintuitive, right? Uh, you slow yourself down so you can be smooth because smooth is fast. And he wouldn't get, uh, he wouldn't make the mistakes that the younger guys would. And so he'd win every single time. It's an upside down way of thinking, but it actually kind of makes perfect sense. If you're going to uh, bring control and peace into a situation, you have to be a person first who walks with that peace in your own life. In the same way, peacemaking requires an upside down counterintuitive way of thinking. We have a tendency to jump right in, preach at others, uh, talk to others, solve their problems without first making sure we're the kind of people that the Lord has called us to be. One of the things we need to understand about uh, the Beatitudes is there's a progressive nature to them. Uh, there's a sense in which we can't really hope to be peacemakers if we haven't first become poor in spirit. Uh, if we haven't first become uh, mournful over sin, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, embracing mercy, being pure in heart, simply stated, if we're not at peace in our soul and we're not walking tightly with Jesus, it's difficult to be a peacemaker for others. So what are a few things we can do to become that way? Well, the first is humility then, poor in spirit. Being a peacemaker begins with being poor in spirit. Confessing to God, we don't have all the answers. We're in need of his grace and his wisdom. I want you to think about the images of, in some of the U.S. cities right now. The images going around of some of the police officers taking a knee. Uh, showing solidarity, humbling themselves in the middle of a protest. And you've seen crowds of protesters. You've seen, I've seen young black men come up and shake their hand and put their arm around them and embrace them and they march peacefully together. It all starts with humility, which then leads to a second thing, listening. Uh, James 1 verse 19 to 20 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think that by and large, uh, many people know Christians today not for being humble listeners, but for being arrogant talkers. We're more known today for being quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to anger. The world is looking for us, you guys, to, to be better listeners again. That means we, we have to get close enough to people to hear their stories, to listen to their perspectives, to genuinely care about them in these ways. That helps build a bridge rather than set up a wall. This leads to a third thing, understanding. When we take time to listen, we understand better. We learn something. Uh, in Steve Wilkins' book, Hidden Worldviews, he speaks out uh, about our culture's moral relativism. But Wilkins helpfully points out one of the reasons that people kind of swing over to moral relativism is because they're reacting. They're reacting to usually kind of arrogant nature in Christians and the conversations that they have with them. He writes this, he says, Absolute truth is not the same thing as absolute knowing. When Christians claim to have a God's eye view that grants them absolute moral knowledge, many folks become annoyed. And they abandon the idea of moral absolutes. And in doing so, they believe themselves to be moral relativists. If moral relativists want Christians to hear anything, I'm convinced it is this. The answers to many ethical questions are not always obvious and clear-cut. Christians often assume that they are deficient if they do not have an obvious and clear-cut answer for every moral question that arises. As a result, we give the impression that we don't think carefully about complex issues. And instead, we rely on high-profile leaders to provide all the right answers. In other words, if we listened more and talked less, seeking to understand people, we would gain more ground with them. It's counterintuitive. Our instinct is to weigh in on everything without really knowing what we're talking about half the time. This is very distasteful to people, especially in a post-Christian world. See, in a pre-Christian world, we don't have any baggage. Uh, in a pre-Christian world, you get persecuted. In a post-Christian world, we have a lot of baggage and we need to become better listeners. We don't need to abandon our convictions about the gospel, but we need to uh, get into the terrain of others and understand with a humble posture. Joshua Chatraw and Karen Swallow Pryor in their book, Cultural Engagement, they talk about the vice of carelessness among Christians today. They say, nowhere is this vice more evident in our cultural engagement than in our tendency to assume that an opinion without diligent research and understanding. Less harmful, perhaps, but more common is the practice of carelessly sharing on social media without really reading it or vetting its source, something most of us are guilty of from time to time. Uh, hands up if you're ever guilty of that one. I certainly have been. Um, but it's that kind of thing that isn't really bringing peace to people. Uh, it's honestly just frustrating them more from the church. 
So we need to be humble. Uh, we have to recognize that even if you may not be a pastor or a Christian leader, you still wear a, a uniform, so to speak, that says Christian. Uh, whether you like it or not, every action that you do bears that identity for people. And so we have to be uh, humble in our character so we can become peacemakers. Lastly, I want to give hope for peacemakers. Uh, some of you listening right now, maybe it feels a bit overwhelming um, because you are trying to embody being a peacemaker every day. You are trying to live this out in your daily reality. You're in the trenches. You're trying to serve Jesus in myriads of ways and bring wholeness and well-being to people's lives. You may be an essential worker and you're helping to bring restoration to the sick and the broken. Maybe you're a financial advisor and you're helping put the pieces together of someone's broken finances. Maybe you're a parent and you just feel uh, every day you're trying to bring reconciliation to your kids fighting. Uh, whatever it is, you're serving and trying to be a peacemaker in a myriad of ways, but it's hard. Uh, it's challenging. Um, it's draining. And sometimes we just want to give up. I, I want you to picture Jesus looking at you and saying to you this. He says, remember, Christian, you're blessed because you will be called a son of God. It's possible we might hear that and we think Jesus is saying, well, if I be a really good peacemaker, then God will accept me as his child. But that's not the way to hear it. Uh, the Bible's clear. Uh, we're accepted as God's children by faith alone in Christ's death and resurrection. What this text is reminding us of, though, is that, is that as God's children, we will begin to look more and more like him. Uh, we're already his children, but we find hope in knowing that God is at work in us. He's growing us more and more into his image. A and one day we will step into the fullness of that status as children of God. Uh, I think of it like this. Um, my dad always would tell me and my brothers how much he loved us. And I never have any question in my mind of my dad's love for me. Uh, but every once in a while, when I did something that was actually commendable, which was very rare, uh, my dad might say something to me like this. He would say, Chris, I'm proud of you. A and that's, that sentiment is what I think this text is saying is that even though we're already God's children, we're going to step even more fully into that status. And when we are peacemakers in the world, Jesus looks at us and he says, I'm so proud of you. And that's the encouragement that we can have is knowing that our peacemaking is making God smile on us. So Central, why don't we pray together in these difficult days and let's pray for peace. Lord Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. You came to give us peace. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would extend your peace now through us to the world. Will you give us wisdom to know how to respond in these difficult days? Would you call each one of us in our area of influence to be an active uh, 
person in bringing well-being and wholeness into people's lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.